Welcome to Best Way to Divorce TV Show Livestream, Making Peace Our Weapon of Choice. And my guests today are Erica Ann Lingland, Esquire, Support, Pay and We Parent, all the way from the USA. Debbie Warbank, Menopausivity, uh, Debbie's from the UK. Again from America, we've got Shared Story with Haley Lisa, the Divorce Coach for Men. And we're ending with A Healing by Bonnie Kowaliuk from Canada. So a truly international show. And our news stories will include the man who altered his home valuation during divorce. He was jailed. And are Harry and Meghan really getting a divorce? We shall find out here. But first of all, I'm going to introduce my first uh, guest expert here today, who is Erica and England. Welcome, Erica. Welcome. It's such Great. a delight to be here. A couple of things I wanted to cover today. The first being what is probably the most topical thing that's happening in the US of A at the moment. But you said something to me that I just hadn't even thought of. And I suspect a lot of people haven't thought of as a consequence of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Yes, Susie. Well, it's such a delight to be back. And I know that we've heard worldwide from women on how they feel Roe versus Wade will impact them and their choices and their daughters. But what we're still struggling with is men not seeing this as an issue that impacts them. But there are three ways at least in which this new legislation and limited reproductive rights is going to drastically impact our male population in the upcoming years. And nobody's really talking about those negative impacts. So what are they? Well, first of all, here in the United States, if a child is born to a father, whether the father has wanted and planned for that child or not, the child is obligated to child support. And it's about $160,000 over the average lifestyle of a child, not accounting for inflation. So one large consideration for fathers who do not wish to have children and are now forced to have children through no other option is that those fathers will be obligated to pay child support. And because in the 1990s, the United States shifted to an enforcement model of child support. It means that we not only have very strict laws here, but also incredibly severe penalties for non-payment. So dads who get behind on child support will see a 10% increase month over month in penalties in that amount. Imagine if you could make an investment where you got a guaranteed 10% monthly return. So as this builds up in California, we can take someone's driver's license. We can take away their professional license, like to practice law or to fly an airplane. We can even in some circumstances jail parents for non-payment of child support. But probably one of the worst consequences is that dads who are behind on child support are the least likely to form a relationship with their children. So even though you may have a willing and loving dad in the picture, if he got behind on child support, that will impact the child's ability mm -hmm. to grow up with a father. So that's one huge area. Forced birth means forced child support. 
And forced birth also means we're going to be seeing quite a few more teenage fathers. Yeah. I'm sure you have heard about the social, educational, and financial impacts that teenage motherhood has on a mother and a child. And that makes sense to us. Uh, she would be the one usually having to drop out of school and care for the baby. But we also have studies showing that there are significant negative impacts on teenage fathers. So not only are they about 20% more likely to drop out of high school than their peers, they also have ongoing financial and uh, social ramifications that follow them for life. So they are likely to be behind on every metric of stability from the, the average non-teenage father. Mm -hmm. And this is terrible. It's not just the teenage father, but children who were born to teenage fathers are also likely to be significantly economically, educationally, and socially behind. So if we think about a concept of um, a forced birth for a mother creating a forced father, we do need to recognize that so many of these fathers are gonna be very young teenage mm -hmm. men impacted for life and also their children impacted and, and, for life. And I would dare to suggest without being political in any way that a lot of those young men will come from solid Republican families because I think there's a, a misapprehension from some of the parents about what kind of people get pregnant. But when it comes to their boys, don't seem to be fairly relaxed about it. And yet, not, not that they have any real control anyway. Um, I think the, yeah, the social consequences are going to be immense on every level uh, and quite a leveller as well. But that's not going to be any, that's not going to help people in that situation. So your support payout, well, is it that your your support pay system that's available to people could be particularly uh, particularly useful? Perhaps you could say, for those who don't know about support pay, say a little bit about that. Support pay is the world's first child support management app. We are the only app that was created on a financial platform with the security of a banking system. So it helps parents pay and receive child support payments, manage all their expenses. And best of all, probably, it helps them never have to talk to each other about money again. As you know, people <laughs> divorce because they don't communicate well and they tend to have differences about money. And then they realize once they divorce, if they have children, they have to continue to communicate about money for an average of 12 years. And nobody's thrilled for that. So we've created an app to take that stress off the parents' shoulders and then ensure that they have really simple ways to pay to keep the children supported and have records at the touch of a button whenever they need those for court. So while we are not at all looking forward to the idea nice. of a baby boom in America mm -hmm. that will generate so much more support, we certainly know that our programs where we provide support pay for free, for example, teenage parents, any families experiencing violence, that we'll be providing more free support pay subscriptions to those populations in the upcoming period. And a lot of those uh, new fathers-to-be, will uh, they'll be less likely to get into arrears and get themselves in a pickle if, if they use this app or their um, baby mothers use the app so I think that's a fantastic resource and before you go I'd love to talk to you about 
the workplace. So we were saying earlier that um, before the show started, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking in America, I mean, it's hard enough to keep good women in particularly significant posts in companies. They have so much going on. They've got menopause. They've got, you know, not feeling that they're valued. And now there's going to be a whole load of women who are basically going to get pregnant because... <laughs> try as hard as they might it just does sometimes happen um but that whole workplace scenario there's some re you did a really interesting study didn't you i'd love you to share the the details of that yes we actually support pay partnered with good housekeeping institute which is one of the largest longest serving um, institutions in the world on conducting research to find out what is really happening in the workplace when people are getting divorced studies that we have way back from the 90s, which I'm, 90s doesn't seem like that long ago, but to me, but in reality, that was quite a while ago. <laughs> studies that we have from the 90s show there's a pretty significant impact, but it hadn't been updated to show what has happened in the workplace from 90s until now. So something really interesting we found is that when you think of the most stressful things in life, these are the birth of a child, the death of someone in the family, and somebody moving to a new location. Almost all large employers provide a lot of benefits around those services, but almost zero employers provide benefits for the number two most stressful event in life, which is divorce. And you may hear, oh, it's, you know, it's the number two most stressful life event, but it's really not just the number two because even separating from a spouse is number 12 on the list of most stressful life events. Um, experiencing violence is number 11. We know this happens in at least, at least one out of every five couples divorcing documented. Becoming a single parent is the number one most 20, 21st most stressful event that can happen to a parent. And losing a job, which happens to one out of every nine people getting divorced is the eighth most stressful. So we have employees that are going through absolute layers, mm -hmm. a multiverse, if you will, of impacts of stress. And then we have employers completely failing to recognize not just the impact on the employee, but that it's costing the employer billions of dollars a year because it's not just the employee who feels these impacts, but they're also statistically showing to impact all of the coworkers and the employee's manager for an average of seven years for every divorce that goes through the workplace. So I think if I told you, hey, there's gonna be an illness in your workplace and it's gonna impact, you're gonna lose one out of every nine employees. It will cost you billions of dollars and it will impact each sick employee plus all their coworkers and their managers for an average of seven years are you interested in providing something to help care for that illness? They would all say yes, right? And, 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 and no vaccine required. <laughs> no vaccine required, <laughs> exactly. And we're hearing, I, I, don't, I don't know what's happening in, in the UK, but in the US, you may have heard of the great resignation where top talent is leaving jobs because people mm -hmm. don't feel that their lifestyles are being supported. Yeah. So one of the best ways that employers can keep employees in the great resignation, support their top talent 
increase the profits and really ensure that their culture and their lifestyle around work is healthier and happier is to provide divorce-related benefits, and almost none of them do. So this is something we're going to see trending more and more in the future and probably one of the newest topics you're going to see on both the divorce and the HR front in the upcoming five years. And I know we're in in communication around that for in in the US and of course in the UK for any HR people watching this uh, I do have about to launch a separating families policy which you should have because every HR department should have it so uh, on every level but it's yeah finding it's, it's the education isn't it Erica of helping them realize that this is actually happening in their workplace right now and there is so much they can do to alleviate it. Thank you so much, as always. And there's a million other things I'd love to talk to you about, but you're going to have to come back on again in the autumn. It is always great to see you. May I say congratulations on the Screenplay Award? I'm thrilled for you. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you again quite soon. Thanks so much. See you soon. Let's start with... BBC News. Man who altered home valuation during divorce jail. Now, if you're ever considering doing this, let this be a warning. A man who missed a court, uh, misled a court about the true value of his family home during divorce proceedings has been jailed for seven and a half months. Anthony Cook, 50, lowered, says lowered, I don't think that's, oh, that's right, he did. He lowered three estate agent valuations for the property in Peel between March and July 2021. Now, the court had heard he submitted altered emails during the proceedings and relied on them in sworn evidence. Deemster Richard Park said his actions had struck at the heart of the administration of justice. So they took it pretty seriously. Douglas Courthouse heard the couple had split up in January 2020 and Cook wanted to buy his ex-wife's share of the property. He received three valuations for the home in Aspen Drive, Ballawattleworth, ranging between £340,000 and £350,000 and altered each to reflect the amount that he could afford to pay. In each case, he had lowered the estimated value of the house by about, listen to this, £5,000. That's all it was. However, his wife rejected being bought out and the judge in the case ruled the house should be sold on the open market. So it was all to no avail. His actions were discovered after Cook's wife requested a copy of one of the emails from the estate agent directly and the figures did not match the court documents. The discrepancy was reported to police and he was questioned before being charged with committing an act against public justice, which he later pleaded later pleaded guilty to. His defence advocate said Cook was going through protracted divorce proceedings and was not thinking rationally when the offence was committed. Well, none of us think rationally during divorce, do we? But it doesn't mean you have to be completely stupid. He said his career in the finance industry as a compliance officer was likely to be over as a result of his conviction, adding that if the aim of the deception was to get one over on his ex-wife, it had backfired spectacularly. Deemster Park said that it had undoubtedly been a stressful time for Cook. He had set out to dupe his ex-wife and her lawyers in order to make the house affordable to himself. He said an immediate custodial sentence was unavoidable as the court relied on honest evidence. So he got jail time 
lost his career over £5,000. Surely this was motivated, I think, from wanting to get one over of his ex-wife. It can't be just financially. What do you think? Feel free to uh, mention it in the comments. Metro is talking about Ewan McGregor, who admits divorce was a bomb in his children's life and a rare comment on his split with Eve Marrakis. So Obi-Wan Kenobi star Ewan McGregor has made a rare comment on the breakdown of his marriage to Eve Mavrakis and the effect it had on their family. Ewan recently married his Fargo co-star Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Ewan revealed a divorce in a family is a bomb going off in everyone's life my children's lives. Ewan had managed to keep his private life pretty private. However, in a new interview, he's opened up on the effect his marriage breakdown had on his kids' lives after his daughter Clara previously voiced her unhappiness at the split and slammed Mary Elizabeth as a piece of trash on social media. It's not good when the kids get involved like that. Ooh, onto crypto. So I hope to not to frighten anyone too much with this one. This is from Lexology. Uh, the rise of cryptocurrency and digital assets in family law disputes. So whether you understand how it works or not, cryptocurrency is a growing asset that is disrupting societal traditions. So with the rise of cryptocurrencies and other digital asset ownership comes various implications in family law proceedings, particularly during the process of quantifying and dividing property pools containing these types of assets. Rule 6.01 of the Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia, Family Law Rules 2021, provides that each party to a proceeding has a duty to the court and to each other to give a full disclosure of all information relevant to the proceedings in a timely manner. However, typical approaches to obtaining disclosure of cryptocurrency holdings may be ineffective and instructing experts to value it and other digital assets is still a newly developing practice. Although this is a, um, an Australian ruling, this is the same, it's going to be the same issue in the UK or USA. So one significant hurdle for parties who are trying to obtain information about their former partner's cryptocurrency holdings is that there is no bank or regulatory body that can be subpoenaed to provide information or documents about an individual's cryptocurrency assets. So even if you are aware your former partner owns such assets, it may be difficult to prove if they withhold information due to cryptocurrency being held in encrypted wallet systems. Ownership of cryptocurrency is not based on the individual's registered identity, but on encrypted keys. People who hold and spend cryptocurrency can often remain anonymous and enter into transactions by giving out a public key or address, which does not identify them tantamount to the use of a physical wallet or holding physical cash. Only the owner of the wallet is privy to the value and location of the cryptocurrencies unless this information is specifically shared by the owner. So please don't start getting any ideas um, as, <laughs> as this could be a good place to stash your funds before a divorce because you could still lose it all as a few people are finding out at the moment. It is important to get on the front foot if you suspect your former partner has an interest in cryptocurrency. When appropriate documents are disclosed evidencing the value of a party's cryptocurrency holdings, it is simply another asset in the balance sheet. However, 
If parties are not forthcoming with disclosure, the usual issues created by non-disclosure are exacerbated. Statements evidencing the wallet holdings of a party are key documents that can be used to substantiate the value of a person's cryptocurrency. Some exchanges will also produce end-of-year statements. Spending that is in, is inconsistent, so anything they spend that's a little bit inconsistent with the amount of funds in the person's bank account might be indicative of undisclosed cryptocurrency. So it seems very likely that they will, it gets worse, will continue to be a sharp rise in the ownership of digital assets beyond the use of just cryptocurrency. Recently, there has been a significant spike in the number of people owning non-fungible tokens, NFTs. These are one-of-a-kind digital assets that are stored in a blockchain, which is a form of digital ledger operating on a decentralized network. These are endless items that NFT, sorry, there are endless items that NFTs can represent, including collectibles, art, music, and even tickets to real world events. There are already billions of dollars worth of NFTs circulating around the world, with many having significant value. Much like cryptocurrency, NFTs will continue to play a larger role in family law disputes in the future. You have been warned. Now, Bachelor Nation's Evan Bass dropped to 6% body fat amid trauma of divorce. Well, they talk about the uh, the divorce diets. But uh, when I was going through hell, he says, working on my body was the one thing in my life I could actually control. Which actually is a good point because you do need to find things that you feel give you some control. So that's a good tip. I've actually worked out, he says, for over a decade but never saw the results I wanted. The Bachelorette Alum 39 said in this article, he said, diet culture is horrible and the effects on the body, especially mentally, can be quite harmful. Well said. Telling us that he, telling us in the article that actually he actually ate more food than he used to. So this is the kind of diet we like. He probably uh, didn't eat the diet on this photo that I've added because uh, I nabbed it off his Insta account, but I imagine that's not probably on his daily, um, <laughs> daily list of food. Bass, who has three older sons from his first marriage, told the magazine, us, I also work with a life coach uh, who has perhaps even more than therapy changed my outlook from impending doom to cautious optimism. Between those two and dealing with a trauma of divorce with my therapist, I was able to get focused and decrease my body fat from 15% to 6% and gain about 20 pounds of muscle. That's a good swap. When I felt like failure was everywhere in my life, I found that changing my physical body for the better was somewhere I could find a win. And it sounds like he did it in a fairly healthy way. USA Today, a fact check on, it says, no evidence that Prince Harry and Duchess Meghan are divorcing. What a surprise. The claim has been, it's been going around on the internet, is that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have signed divorce papers. However, there is absolutely no evidence that this has happened. The claim that Prince Harry and his wife Meghan are seeking a divorce is baseless, as independent fact-checking outlets such as PolitiFact and Check Your Fact have also reported. So if you read the claims going around that they're planning divorce, don't believe a word of it. But there is one that looks like it might be true. So how about this? Fox News billionaire Rupert Murdoch and supermodel Jerry Hall may indeed be heading for divorce. So the marriage between Fox News billionaire Rupert Murdoch and supermodel Jerry Hall may be on the way to be being officially over. 
according to Celebrity Net Worth. And between Murdoch's $20 billion fortune and the couple's myriad real estate holdings, valued at hundreds of millions of dollars, it's anyone's guess how the couple's assets are going to be divided. Attorney Mark Stevens told the Daily Mail that Hall is likely to have signed a fairly generous prenuptial agreement with Murdoch before their marriage, one that would grant her a generous settlement if and when the two split, but that wouldn't interfere with the line of succession in Murdoch's business. However, it's possible and even likely, according to Stevens, that in lieu of a giant lump sum transfer of tens of millions of dollars from Murdoch to Hall, the former Mrs Rupert Murdoch would instead receive day-to-day expenses. She's going to have her lifestyle funded without a transfer of funds, he says. We don't know the precise terms of the Murdoch Hall prenup, but back in 2014, Murdoch's reportedly amicable divorce from his third wife, Good, good thing. We like my amicable divorce. Wendy Deng included both a substantial sum in cash and multiple properties like a New York apartment and a mansion somewhere in China. I think I could divorce amicably for that. So it's possible that Hall will end up with some of their shared property to herself. It should also be noted that when Rupert divorced his first wife in 2013... He's got a few, doesn't he? After three decades of marriage, he paid her $1.7 billion. And I'm going to be coming back to the talking about how the no-fault divorce laws may stimulate a rise, a rise in amicable splits among the wealthy. But first of all, we're going to have a chat with our second expert of, of our show today, Debbie Wallbank. And Debbie, your company's called Menopause. Let me say this: Menopausativity. Why on earth That's did you it. choose? A, why did you choose a name that you can't say after you've had a drink? Which, sadly, or maybe because I haven't had a drink, I can't say it. I think one glass of wine and I'd be fine with it. So, presumably, it's something to do with menopause. Yeah, and I probably dreamt it up after I'd had a drink, so that might answer that question. <laughs> but you know, essentially, the name comes from menopause and also positivity because that. That's what I'm about. That is my entire ethos now because menopause really doesn't have to be a bad thing. And I noticed there were a few other similar names going about spelled with the positivity spelled as in the actual word positivity. And I just put a little twist on it. So, yeah. I think it's, I think it's a very clever name. And uh, menopause is people are starting to realise what a massive impact it has, not just in the workplace in, and certainly in relationships. And the more husbands are aware, I mean, sometimes I literally say to husbands, they describe their insane behaviour of uh, their perception of it, of their soon to be ex-wife. And I go, how old are they? And then do you think it could be anything to do with menopause? And they're like, oh, maybe it is. And it's, and it's not even occurred to them. Not, not that's an excuse for, for difficult behaviour, but actually... If you don't support someone the right way, you can't blame them if if things don't go as smoothly. So what would be your advice to husbands who are uh, either within or without the marriage, um, realising that their wife's really struggling or their ex-wife's really struggling with this? Because she might not realise what's even going on, mightn't she? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the biggest thing around menopause that I have discovered in in the last six months is that people perceive it to be an age thing that you have to be you know an old woman you have Mm. to be at that part of your life where your life is 
almost coming to an end physically for menopause to even be considered. But actually, menopause can happen at any time after you have started, sorry, once you have gone through puberty, which sounds crazy. Yeah, that's that's scary. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And I know women who have hit menopause in their teens, which sounds absolutely insane. Um, I was I was listening to uh, I was listening to Sue, an, an expert, very recently, and she said, uh, "Go to your doc. If you go to your doctor and you say, I've got some. I think I've got menopause symptoms.' They're like, oh, 'Oh, you'll get over it.' Um, or they maybe they'll say, 'Oh, you're too young.' But if you say, 'I've got a serious estrogen deficient deficiency,' strangely, they may react differently. Can you just say a little little bit about what's actually happening? Because to be honest, I know very little about what what I. I what happened when I went through it um, on a biological level. Yeah, of course. And, you know, as I say, it can it can physically happen at any time in your female adult life, which is, you know, from puberty onwards, right? Mostly it happens in your 40s, 50s. That's the average. The average is just 51 in the UK. But it's becoming much earlier than that now and for me personally I was 39 when I hit perimenopause Mm. and that's a word when you say it people go oh what's perimenopause I have no idea everybody just thinks it's menopause but actually there are three stages to menopause and they all begin when your estrogen levels start to drop So first of all, you hit perimenopause. That's when, you know, your estrogen levels will plateau for most of your adult life, typically. Then maybe say from mid thirties to mid forties is from what I'm learning is now becoming the average. Your estrogen starts to drip away, but not just your estrogen, your progesterone and testosterone, Mm. which is women a lot of women don't even understand they have testosterone because people see it as the male hormone but it's absolutely not so these hormones start to decline and because they affect pretty much every single cell in your body you'll start to see problems you'll see symptoms and unfortunately most of these symptoms can be attributed to other things Especially if so, you're going through huge stress in a divorce or family separation, yes. you you could put it down to that and not realise you've actually got something physiologically happening to you. Absolutely, because you in, you probably think you're too young, as mm. I did. And, you know, I, I do say this a lot, that I used to joke it was menopause, and I don't mean joke because it's funny, because it absolutely isn't funny for most mm. women, but joking in the sense that how could it really be menopause when I wasn't even 40? You know, so what are the what are the sorry what are the symptoms though that you're you're doing things start to happen that you might put down something else? What I know it could be different for everyone, but what kind Mm. of um, yeah, what kind of can you give us some examples? Absolutely. How long have you got? (laughs) About two minutes. (laughs) Okay, I'll run. I'll run through them rapid fire. Um, There are officially thirty four symptoms, but in reality, there are about sixty which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Most recognized ones are um, irregular periods, hot flushes, 
brain fog, aching body, lethargy, loss of libido. You know, mental health is a massive, massive part of this that is probably the least talked about and the least understood. Um, mood swings, irritability, itchy skin, you know, literally anything in your body could be attributed to menopause. And I always say that if, if you have maybe five or more of these symptoms all at once, definitely consider it could be menopause no matter what age you are. And uh, am I right? In, I, a, good, a, friend, a friend of mine was saying that she wasn't happy about the normal HRT, but she asked her GP for the uh, bioavailable one, but she had to ask because it costs a bit more. <laughs> Um, you know what, and uh, and some people I know manage to not need that at all, but manage it through diet and stress. Mm -hmm. uh, presumably, there's a range. There's not just a one fi one stop fix, and people should be really really get some serious advice of, and think about what's best for them as as actions they can take. Absolutely, and you know, I am. I guess you could say I'm pro HRT if it's suitable for the person. Mm. Everybody is different, as you say, and there are so many different brands, different applications, different strengths. You know, there isn't one size fits all. And actually, people, I think people are scared of HRT because of the old HRT that mm. probably my mum and my nan would have had, which was formulated from pregnant mare's urine. Ow. Which is, it sounds horrible, <laughs> you know, it sounds vile, I wouldn't want it, but we don't even prescribe that in the UK now. It's called Premarin and it, it's just not something that we prescribe here. The HRT that you are prescribed in the UK is formulated from the yam, Ooh, it's a, it's which is incredible. <laughs> well, just about, yeah, I mean, it depends which type you have, but yes, a lot of the formulations are indeed vegan. But it is so safe now Brilliant. that the benefits of HRT actually far outweigh the risk because yeah. the risks are so small. And, you know, there's always been this fear of, oh, it will give you breast cancer. Yeah. It will cause all sorts of other conditions. And that's just not true. That's based on a report that was done many years ago based on mm. the old style HRT. Yeah. Based on women who were probably beyond menopause anyway. And it was completely mm. inappropriate. So there's this battle going on now to yeah. try and re-educate people on HRT being safe and actually having massive future health benefits. So when when I uh, uh, later on, I'll be sending you an email to links where all the places the show is. So I'd love you to put into the comments then some links to more information and to answer the question in the comments, if you can, how does how does the soon to be ex husband explain to his soon-to-be ex-wife that maybe she should get some help with the menopause because that's a tricky one so if you've got any suggestions on how they could phrase that that would be amazing <laughs> do you know what first of all if there is a husband or soon-to-be ex-husband that even considers saying that to the woman yeah i put my hands up 
because most most men run away. Yeah. But but he'll but he'll probably get punched, Debbie. You'll get well, punched. So you so you got to. I've got. We've got to move on now. But I've sit, think about sure. it and pop it. Pop anything in, in, the in the comments. comments. But yeah, it would of be course. great. So we've got to make it as easy <laughs> as possible for them to cross that bridge because it is amazing oh, if sure. they if they're even yeah. thinking about it. Thanks so much, Debbie, and speak to you again soon. So we're going to shoot on now. I just wanted to talk about the no-fault divorce laws may stimulate a rise in amicable splits amongst the wealthy. This is in the Financial Times. Um, have a little rant about this. So the no-new-fault divorce law, it says in the article, that was introduced in England and Wales in April this year has already captured the attention of wealthy people around the globe. Lawyers say it has triggered thousands of inquiries. London has long been heralded as the divorce capital of the world and the introduction of the no-fault divorce laws is at adding to its desirability says Catherine Landles, a divorce lawyer in the London office of Withers. Lawyers say attitudes in many societies have changed and these laws are catching up with the zeitgeist, of course. And in the early 2000s, everyone was focused on the big divorce battles, the bloodier the better, and would go to dinner parties and relate all the juicy details of the breakdown of their own marriages to the other guests, reports the article. Today, in comparison, people are focused on conscious uncoupling, as coined by actress Gwyneth Paltrow and Coldplay musician Chris Martin, when they split up in 2014 after 10 years of marriage. Instead of a dramatic, stressful, acrimonious divorce, such people seek to separate amicably. My question is, and please put your comments uh, in, in, in the comments area, so does simply taking away blame, fantastic though that is, actually lead to the road lead the to a kind of more onto the road of peace it, it, it definitely helps but i suspect it's not going to make a big difference overall with the ongoing dysfunctional divorce systems that we have in the uk and the us i believe education is key and in it my worry is that talking about conscious uncoupling as beautiful that as that is is actually potentially detrimental it's too remote for many people's experience and um, that doesn't mean though that their divorce needs to go toxic. So what do you think? Please put your thoughts in the comments. The article goes on to say that the no-fault rule change brings the UK closer in line with the US, where of the 50 states, 17 allow only no-fault divorces, including New York City, which introduced the law in 2010. In the 33 remaining states, spouses can file for a no-fault divorce or choose to apportion blame for a variety of reasons, which vary from state to state. Acting promptly to start divorce proceedings in the favoured country may be vital, as it is hard to switch to another other jurisdiction once the process has started. But Sarah Anticoni, part partner at Charles Russell Speechley, says that being the first to file for divorce is not a foolproof way of securing an English hearing. I read that actually part of that in the UK is, is a, a consequence of, of Brexit. It used to be pretty straightforward, but not anymore. She says it's important to bear in mind that when somebody tries to divorce in England, if the other party sees it as a deliberate attempt to obtain more money, then they can challenge it in the English court. So you see, you can still have a nice expensive uh, fight and a good old battle over where to have your no-fault divorce. So in a high-profile case last year, Princess Haya, the estranged wife of Dubai's ruler, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid al-Maktoum, secured more than half a 
billion pounds in what is thought to be the largest post-divorce financial settlement awarded in England and Wales. London's High Court ruled that Sheikh Mohammed pay about £554 million in child maintenance and security costs. According to Elizabeth, Elizabeth Dirty, a partner in the private client disputes team at McFarlane's, the case demonstrates the willingness of the English judiciary to use the various tools available to it to ensure adequate protection for the financially weaker party in divorce, even where complex offshore structures are involved. And I have to say that is, a, I think, a very good thing about our system. But even when you're talking about the weaker party in divorce, even where there's... Uh, yeah, this this applies to also to married couples who run a business together. And I found this quite interesting. So in a divorce between Russian billionaire Farkad Akhmadov and his ex-wife Tatyana Akhmadova, the English courts awarded Akhmadova a large share of Akhmadov's fortune in 2016. We've talked about this quite a bit on the show. When he failed to pay, the High Court issued a global freezing uh, order, freezing his assets, including the super yacht Luna, which has now been seized. Good. Lawyers have long sought out the best place for their clients to get divorced, often leading to a situation where each spouse issues a petition in a different jurisdiction. It's called the jurisdiction race. Someone who lives in France but was born in the UK and operates a business out of Germany could potentially file to for divorce in any of these jurisdictions. However, there are traps for the unwary. So for most European countries, the criteria for filing for divorce include having a physical presence in that country for some time before the commencement of any proceedings. And also in uh, California as well, at many other places, you really need to check out the rules. While financially weaker parties tend to favour London, the financially stronger half of the couple, often men, prefer to file for divorce in countries where the system of law is still patriarchal, like Spain and France. Even if people file for divorce in one jurisdiction, it doesn't necessarily guarantee the case will be heard there, nor that the financial settlement will be sealed there. Nicola Harris, partner and head of family law at Stephen, Stevens & Bolton, says it should be noted that if a spouse succeeds in stopping the divorce proceeding in England and Wales, there may still be litigation in this country concerning finances, says Harris. In certain circumstances, the English court can make further financial orders even where another country has dealt with the divorce, if it is considered that the financial provision made for a spouse by the overseas court is inadequate. That said, there have been an increasing number of cases where high court judges have been very vocal about costs incurred by warring spouses. We talked about this last week, last month. Um, warring spouses in financial remedy litigation. So the laws are edging closer to making it possible, a little bit closer, to follow Paltrow and Martin in consciously uncoupling. I think they've got quite a long way to go, quite frankly. But they still require the partners to play their part. Not everybody will. So... You can avoid all of this rubbish, of course, cut a deal in mediation, collaborative law, or if you really, really want to hand over all your power to a judge, use arbitration. You don't need to go through the courts. Uh, there should be no need to battle in court. Um, you don't have to be conscious, just not stupid. Now we have our shared story and Hayley is going to join us. Hello, Hayley. Hi, Susie. 
Fantastic. Coming through loud and clear. And Hayley, you are the divorce coach for men. And I bet you've got lots of great stories you could share with us. But we've probably <laughs> only got one for one or two today. Room for one or two today. So we might have to get you back on again for, for more of them. But yes, um, what, did, did any of the, those, those previous news stories resonate with you in any way? Absolutely. And first, let me just say thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you, Hayley. So, yeah, let me know um, what, what's, what, without giving away any details or identifying anyone in any way, um, for the benefit of, particularly for the men, because um, you're focusing on helping the men, which is great, because they have a, it, it is, you know, it's hard for everyone, but I do often really feel for, for the guys. Um, and it's great that some of them will be reaching out and getting some support because I think that's quite hard for a lot of men. But what kind of stories can you share that will be uh, that any men watching now who are scared, uh, feeling disempowered or angry about their divorce? What, what kind of stories that can you share that maybe have uh, that have you've come through have worked, come through your work with your existing clients? Well, first, let me just say to all the men watching that there is help out there. You know, years ago, divorce coaches were not even a thing for men or women. And in the last 10 years, I've seen such growth for divorce coaches for women. But sadly, you know, men were left behind. But I am here to say that I am here. I work with men. I've been doing it for 10 years. And I can get you from A to B, you know, smoothly and ultimately forming healthy co-parenting relationship with your former spouse, which to me is the ultimate goal for mine. And definitely what most most men and definitely fathers want. So, yes. So, so Pat's given an example of that to us. So share, share a story. Okay, I'd love to. For example, I had a gentleman a few years ago come to me who unfortunately was blindsided by an infidelity. Um, he had been married nearly 16 years, uh, had no clue that his wife was having an affair. When he learned of the affair, he immediately went to a very good place. He wanted to sabotage her car. He wanted to get her fired at a very well-known corporation. And fortunately, he reached out to me before acting on those urges. So when we met, I immediately said to him, first, A, I won't work with you if you're looking to sabotage anyone. Won't, I won't be a party to that. And when he promised me he wouldn't, I said, okay, I'll work with you. I was able to, A, not get him to you know, do anything to her car, or, but B, take the high road. And I kept explaining to him that as he's going through this divorce, he's an example to their 11-year-old son. And, you know, you can't change what has happened. What you can only do is move forward in the best way possible and always reminding yourself that your 11-year-old son is watching and listening to everything you do and say, especially from this point on. And so, you know, this, his, his wife had worked so hard at this corporation. She worked herself up the chain. Um, and he had ground to actually get her fired. He was having an affair with a subordinate. And I said to him, if you do that, you are setting this example to your son that it's okay to get even 
and to be vengeful and be spiteful? And do you really want your son to do that? And when he sat on it in that space and thought about it, he realized he's not going to gain anything, right? He's only, he's only going to come from a place that sometimes you can never come back from. So ultimately, he did not act on it. And I actually thought for the first six months, this was going to be my biggest challenge, the biggest challenge I've ever had with a client. He was so riddled with anger. But I'm here to tell you, Susie, you know, fast forward a year later after working together, he has dinner with his former wife and their 12-year-old son once a month. They go out to dinner or lunch, the three of them, because I said to him, the more you extend the olive branch, the more your son will see that it's okay that if someone hurts you, you don't have to become vengeful, spiteful. Mm -hmm. You can still move on and continue to extend the olive branch in the process. That's a cool story. And I know there might be some people listening thinking, I couldn't do that, but you don't know what you can do. I was surprised what I was able to do. And you don't have to become best mates, but you can find ways to continue uh, a healthy co-parenting relationship. I love the work that you're doing and uh, I hope to speak about it with you soon. Thank you so much for coming and sharing that on the show today. Thank you for having me, Susie. And we're gonna move straight in now to our healing. I'm gonna introduce you to Bonnie. And Bonnie, hello. Hello, how are you? Thank you very much, Susie, for inviting me on your show. I'm very delighted. Great tattoos. My daughter would love your tattoos. She's a she's a tats girl. <laughs> and, and before we uh, let you loose on everyone for, for the next few minutes, what uh, just give everyone a little bit of a, an idea of what we're going to be doing. Um, we're going to be engaging in a in a practice. Um, I have a background as a mindfulness coach and a and I uh, facilitate mindfulness-based stress reduction programs for men and families who are experiencing or needing supportive resources uh, to support their mental health and emotional well-being. And this practice today is really about supporting our capacity to reconnect with ourselves and others mindfully uh, with the attention of really building positive and healthy relationships with those that are really important in our lives, whether they are relationships from our past or our present and potentially even our future. So this it's really important for us to focus on developing skills that support our emotional and uh, social intelligence and our awareness, as well as our mindful communication skills relative to what is supportive for building these healthy, positive relationships uh, with these human beings, because we are social creatures. And mindfulness is also a very personal and interpersonal practice. And so when we incorporate awareness tools and practices around compassion, these things support and build our capacity uh, relative to our interpersonal skills and uh, and those those supportive uh, positive relationships with other human beings in our life so today's Brilliant. practice yeah yeah so it's really going to take us into a into a practice around perspective taking and cultivating compassion for self and others which really nurtures and uh, fosters feelings of connectedness so it's going to be a uh, a meditation is that right yes it Perfect. will be a guided 
guided meta meditation. I love those. Right, I'm going to let you let you loose. Thanks so much, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. All right, I invite everybody today to come to a comfortable but alert seated position, uh, becoming aware of your body and the points of contact underneath your sit bones on the surface that you're seated on or your feet as they're grounded and planted into the earth. And I invite you to close your eyes if that's comfortable for you right now or for you to soften your gaze and to invite an unfocused downward gaze as we move forward into this practice today and take a, a couple of deep intentional breaths as you bring awareness to intention around fostering and building healthy and positive relationships with others. Now bring to mind and hold in awareness a friend or someone you feel loving kindness towards. And sing silently after me. This person has a body and a mind just like me. This person has feelings and emotions and thoughts just like me. This person has in his or her life experienced physical and emotional pain and suffering just like me. This person has at some point been sad, disappointed, angry or hurt just like me. This person is learning about life and themselves just And this person wants friendship, just like me. Because this person is a fellow human being, just And taking a breath. A deep breath and notice how you feel about this person that you have to mind. Bringing to mind and holding in your awareness, an ex-partner or spouse, someone whom you have shared life with, and sing silently after me. This person has a body and a mind 
just like me. This person has feelings, emotions, and thoughts just like me. This person has in his or her life experienced physical and emotional pain and suffering just like me. And this person at some point has been sad, disappointed, angry, or hurt, just like me. This person is learning about life and themselves, just like me. This person wants a positive relationship, just like me. Because this person is a fellow human being, just like me. And taking a deep cleansing breath and notice how you feel about this person. Bringing to mind and holding in your awareness an acquaintance of someone neutral that you know and saying silently after me. This person has a body and a mind just like me. This person has feelings, emotions, and thoughts, just like me. This person has in his or her life experienced physical, emotional pain and suffering, just like me. This person has at some point been sad, disappointed, angry or hurt, just like me. And this person is learning about life and themselves. This person wants friendship just like me. And because this person is a fellow human being, just like me.
and take a deep and notice how you feel about this person. And in the next moments, I invite you to bring your attention to the body. And back to the body breathing and body sensations. And in these next few moments forward, bring your awareness and presence back to the space and place around you at the sound of the bell. Thank you, Bonnie. And uh, we're going to say now, I've got to shoot off to do the uh, group chat in the Secret Divorce Group uh, for our meetup. Thank you so much for everyone who's joined us today and anyone who's watching this or replay. Feel free to make comments, make suggestions for future shows. I'm going to have a little bit of break for uh, the next few months and then come back fresh in the autumn. So, in the war of divorce, on the battlefield of family separation, make sure you use peace as your weapon of choice.